Welcome to Explain to Shane. I'm your host, Shane Tews at the American Enterprise Institute. On this podcast, I interview tech industry experts to explain how the apps, services, and structures of today's information technology system work and how they shape our social and economic life. The United States is in the middle of a major rollout of new network designs for mobile technology, commonly known as 5G. 5G networking has the capacity to greatly enhance our economy through the major developments in machine-to-machine capabilities, allowing for more speed and less latency. The change happens in both the hardware and the software that it runs on through network virtualization and software-defined networking. These changes in the network architecture are expensive to build, and the supply chain is full of decisions that come with a number of risks and opportunities. Recently, the U.S. Cyberspace Solarium Commission noted in their report they released in March that a domestic 5G network will increase America's internet attack surface. This means the multitude of devices soon to be connected to multiple networks will be a constant opportunity for bad actors to target network devices. This would allow access to both commercial and private data if they're not properly protected. Today's guest is Tommy Ross, Senior Policy Director at BSA, the Software Alliance. He authored a position paper titled Securing 5G, a Call to Harness Software Innovation, in which he discussed the transition from hardware-dominated networking to a more capable software-centric model with the new 5G engineering. So, Tommy, BSA sent a very well-structured set of comments to the NTIA on national strategy to secure 5G implementation, and they also released a recent position paper on securing 5G, a call to harness software innovation, both of which I believe you authored, which really got my attention. So, one thing I would really like to focus on our discussion today is the importance of securing 5G to the network. So, can we walk through how that happens both at the network level and the importance to the edge consumer? Absolutely. I mean, I think there's a lot of different elements in 5G security. You know, there's a lot of different technologies that go into building out a telecommunications network, particularly one as complex as 5G. But what we're trying to focus on in the two papers that you referenced is that 5G is really different from previous generations of telecommunications technology because it is so software-centric. And those software-centric capabilities in 5G bring with them certain built-in benefits that make it inherently more secure than previous generations. But they also create possibilities for applying different security techniques and security controls in new ways that can promise greater security throughout the network. I don't want to overstate that because there are huge risks, I think, that could come in a 5G network that is not architected thoughtfully. But there are certainly a lot of possibilities to bring to bear in in securing the network. So when we think about the software-centric capabilities that are important in that regard, I think, first of all, as I said, there are inherent advantages. There are standards that build in stronger encryption and authentication. But also the IP basis, the internet protocol basis of the the network enables more consistent or system-wide application of security controls. And the IP-based communications, as well as the cloud backbone underpinning 5G, allows for more flexibility in providing tailored environments and tailored solutions for different types of data. So when you think about the tailored solutions, there are possibilities. People talk about software-defined networking, network slicing, that kind of thing. What we're really talking about is using the ability of the cloud to create contained environments 
and apply those different environments to different types of data. So if you have IoT devices that are being used by consumers, you could potentially allow for traffic between those devices to occur on a channel that is completely separate from the communications between critical infrastructure technologies. And that really allows you to do a lot of different things. One is to keep any sort of actors that might be in one of those channels out of the other channels, but it also allows you to apply tailored security rules in those different environments. One other thing I'd say really quickly, just to introduce the conversation, is that beyond just network slicing or software-defined networking that allows you to apply that, that kind of wide-scale solution to you know, tailoring security rules to different types of environments, it also allows you to create private networks. So individual companies or individual critical infrastructure operators can create completely self-contained networks that allow them to take care of their communications needs and apply their own tailored security rules without depending on the broader network to do that that for them. So that, that's a big advantage, and I think one that you'll see a lot of companies take advantage of. When I first was reading about software-defined networking, I was really fascinated with this whole idea, and I'm going to use the word fetching, but where you would be able to have a very smart set of boxes that have the capability to grab things, hence the fetching. So like you may need something for a moment in time for a project, but you don't need to hold on to that for a long time. You no longer have to build an entire network operation of hardware and specific software because of the cloud. I just thought, wow, what a great way to redesign this. So we're using all these amazing, innovative things that we've come up with, the combination of cloud and, and software. It really came to light for me. I'm just for the sake of the audience who may are trying to grasp this. When I went to go look at a Tesla for the first time, I asked the sales guy, like, where's the rest of the engine? I was just staring. This is back when it was in the Fisher body. I was like, I'm staring at this non-really engine. He said, well, basically, it's a computer on wheels. We use firmware to do what the engine used to do. And I think about that example whenever I'm discussing software-defined networking because it's so vital to the continued innovation in the network specifically. But you think about that with the Tesla car, they don't need as much of that physical you know, hardware of the engine because they are actually using what we call middleware to just constantly download and upgrade and update the system. So take that kind of idea of what you're seeing drive around in a Tesla. You may not have known that was going on. You should go check it out. But it's you know the whole idea of the, the software-defined networking, be able to fetch things down on the cloud and be able to push the upgrades, which are really important. But can you just step back for a second? Because the network slicing is sort of an unsung hero here. I mean, that's really interesting for an enterprise to be able to utilize their their network capacity on different variations. So can you just walk us through network slicing a little bit here? I will do my best. Absolutely. First of all, I think the, the Tesla analogy is a really good one for thinking about 5G more broadly, because I think, you know, just as you think about the big motors and the pistons and stuff that you would find in a Cadillac from 30 years ago, you think about telecommunications networks 30 years ago or 50 years ago and the operators like switching out connections and the circuit switching that previous generations of telecommunications technologies relied on. And it was all hardware driven. And now what is happening is there are efforts to replace hardware components at many, many different levels throughout the 5G architecture with software. And I think one of the areas that we should talk about where that's gotten the most attention has been with radio access network technology, 
But also, I mean, the, the very core of the 5G networks, the core network has gone from being really heavily based on hardware routers and switches and things to being almost entirely virtualized. So that's a big shift. And that kind of virtualization allows you to really rethink how you're managing the network. It really is much less like a traditional telecommunications network and much more like an application, like an application software, much more flexible with patches and things like that. You can not only address security issues as they arise, but you can change the functionality of the software over time. You know, you're not dependent on those hardware switchboards and things like that that are built for a specific function and have to be physically changed out if you want that function to change. The patching capability from a security perspective is so vital. I mean, think about all the legacy systems we have in the government specifically and the lack of a capability of doing that where in the enterprise space, you see that almost, I mean, it's everybody's driving that direction because it's not only cost efficient, it's security efficient. So that's a huge upgrade if we can get the government to follow along with enterprises on that as well. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll take you one better, you know, in, in addition to being able to push out, push out patches really agilely on 5G networks, you can also take advantage of the kinds of, this will return us to the question about software-defined networking, but you can apply virtualized patches to specific environments that are created within the 5G infrastructure. And so, for example, if you're a critical infrastructure operator that depends on industrial control systems, a lot of those operators are hesitant to apply patches to industrial control systems, which are essentially 30 or 40-year-old machines that have IoT capabilities bolted on several years after the fact. And so there's a lot of testing that has to go in to make sure that a patch won't disrupt the operation of this very sensitive machinery. Well, if you can apply a security rule to a dedicated environment for that critical infrastructure operator that never has to do anything to the software itself that is operating the industrial control system, but brings the same security benefits, blocking out the potential of malicious actors to exploit vulnerabilities that have been identified or something like that, it brings tremendous flexibility for those critical infrastructure operators. And it means that their systems are going to be secured much more quickly and without the onerous testing and the lags that can result from that. Your cybersecurity roots are showing through there, my friend. <laughs> but I'm a big believer in clean water and I like power. So I. I'd like both of those industries to be on top of their game as much as possible. And they're always ones I worry about because they don't have to give us as much information as the others do. So good to hear. You mentioned radio access networking, RAN, and there's you know virtual VRAN. And lately in the news, we've been hearing about ORAN. What's going on with ORAN and how does that fit into the 5G operations and networking? Sure. I mean, there's probably four terms that people need to be familiar with. There's RAN, the radio access network technology, which is basically the technology that allows individual devices, you know, your smartphone or whatever, to connect with the 5G network. It's the boxes that are on cell phone towers and that kind of thing in the current generation. And there'll be small cells and that kind of thing in the 5G generation. There is open RAN, which means the radio access network technology is built on open standards, meaning standards that are common across devices that are not proprietary, that are transparent to everyone. And that's really important because it allows interoperability across different providers and technology developers. And 
it also allows for modularity. So it allows, for example, for individual companies to develop solutions to certain parts of the radio access network functionality that are modular, that can be plugged in with things that other people are doing in other parts of the, of the RAN. So all of that is really important for increasing the diversity of suppliers and for increasing competition to supply radio access network technology. And when you have more competition, it allows you to incentivize competition around security, and that's best for consumers and enterprises alike. So Open RAN, really important. ORAN is an effort, a specific effort to produce Open RAN standards. So it's kind of a subset of Open RAN. And then virtualized RAN is an effort or a series of efforts to produce RAN technology that is software-based rather than hardware. And I think when you're talking about VRAN, that is also open RAN, that is really the jackpot. Because VRAN allows you to get away from the hardware boxes that bring with them both some supply chain security concerns and concerns about vendor lock-in. If you buy hardware-based RAN technology, you're probably only going to have the resources to lay out funding for those boxes, you know, every 20 years or something like that. Whereas if it's software, it starts out cheaper because there's not the physical components associated with it. And it allows you to update it, patch it, and or replace it with other software solutions or add those modular solutions onto it in a very easy, flexible manner. And if all that can be done based on open standards and in some cases with open source driven architectures that allow developers to plug into open source components and build their own products off that open source basis, that's really good for fostering a dynamic, diverse ecosystem in that space. And that will get us out of a lot of the security concerns that people have been talking about. Which leads us to another part of the discussion, which is the international part that includes China. So what is going on with China's 5G strategy? It sounds like they are not following the same path or they're the reason why we're kind of creating ORAN is a need to not be 100% in the China path on supply chain. And so how is their model different than what you just described? Well, I think it begins with their national champions. I mean, they've invested a lot of resources in subsidizing Huawei and ZTE and other providers in their system. Huawei in particular has achieved a really favorable market position because they've been able to offer lower priced products and services around the world. And that's been appealing to a lot of countries that have fewer resources to be able to expend on developing telecommunications networks. And they're able to offer lower priced products and services for two main reasons. One is that they are heavily subsidized by the Chinese government. And two is they invest less in in the quality of their products and services. It's selectively less. I mean, I think we would underestimate Huawei if we just assumed all their products are substandard. They are able to achieve a market position, a dominant market position, because people do want their technologies and they feel like their technologies are able to meet the basic needs that they're looking to meet. But it comes with some risk. And I think I personally don't think that we've seen clear evidence of a lot of the concerns people have raised about more nefarious activities with with regard to Huawei, like the Chinese government 
ensuring that there are backdoors that allow them to access all sorts of data. I'm not sure that we've seen a lot of clear evidence that that has happened. It doesn't mean it's not part of the master plan, but I don't think we've seen a lot of indications that it has happened. What I do think we've seen is a lot of evidence that Huawei just doesn't invest in developing secure code, and it doesn't invest in developing quality controls around the products that it's deploying. And so it generates a few problems. One is that most of Huawei's equipment is proprietary, so there's no transparency around it. And from what we understand, it's like every instantiation is different. You know, Huawei sends in engineers and they they code on the spot and they I'm sure they have, you know, some repositories that they draw from and some standard solutions that they put in place, but there it's also a lot of variation from one part to the other or from one instantiation to the other, which makes it really hard to identify where there might be anomalies in the code or where there might be vulnerabilities. If we know the vulnerability, if you know you're talking about a standardized offering, you know that the vulnerability is going to be in place in every one of the instantiations of that offering and you can go out and patch it and do what you need to do to mitigate the risk. If every offering is different, then you don't know where those vulnerabilities lie. And that makes it really hard to mitigate. I think the proprietary nature paired with the very poor quality of code that we've seen in a number of different Huawei products and instantiations of those products are are really concerning from a security standpoint. However, their ability to compete because the quality of their products is less their ability to compete really depends on the proprietary nature of their products and services because that helps put in place the vendor lock-in that makes sure that they have customers for the next few decades rather than just the next year or two until people find out that there are significant vulnerabilities or something. I did a panel discussion at IGF USA two years ago with Sanjay from Verizon. I asked specifically this question. I was like, how do we get around this, you know, the Huawei juggernaut? And he said, well, we'll eventually do it with software, but part of that is the choices you make now. So if you're making the choice to go Huawei, you're really locked in, as you said, you know, vendor lock-in for like 10 years, and software will be very difficult to solve that problem for you versus what you just described for us with the ORAN option of having the ability to update with software earlier in your network system, you know, depending on the choices you make on hardware you won't have that same challenge. I just never thought of it that way and found that a really interesting perspective. But you also just put an idea in my mind I hadn't really thought about it. It's like, I'm willing to be suspicious of the Chinese because I can. And now you're saying that they also just may be sloppy, which is like a whole nother problem I worry about. I'm, I'm that horrible friend that like when I go to your house and I say, what's your Wi-Fi passcode? And they're like, I don't know. And I'm thinking, well, if they don't know their Wi-Fi passcode, they probably never changed it from when it came out of the box. And I bet I can guess it. <laughs> so the whole idea of making it just easier for cyber criminals to get, you know, hack into a system because candidly, the, the coding is kind of, you know, sloppy, gives me a whole nother level of fear. <laughs> so thanks for that. As it should. <laughs> As it should. I think the notion that we're making decisions right now that are going to impact the next 10 years or that you know we're going to be locked into solutions for the next 10 years is real. And for that reason, I cannot understand why we don't have the pedal to the metal in terms of plowing resources into innovation in this space. You see that in the Senate version, I believe, of the National Defense Authorization Act this year, where they did include some legislation to dedicate funding to research and development around ORAN and VRAN. And that's great. It's significantly less 
from an authorization standpoint than the amounts that were envisioned in the original legislation offered by Senator Warner and Senator Burr on the USA Telecommunications Act. But it's a start. And what I can't understand is if we know that this problem is out there and we know that there's a ticking clock, why aren't we rushing headlong to meet it? And why aren't we investing in U.S. companies to innovate solutions when we know that they have a, a long history of being able to do that in other areas and they have a bead on a solution here? Yeah, I think part of the challenge, which you guys are doing a great job on, is information flow and making sure that people understand the challenge. As you and I know, as we both been in technology for a long time, a lot of people just don't understand how this stuff works. And you know, 5G is really cool, but there are layers of government that you need to explain this to. And you tapped on this earlier when explaining around the challenge with the, the local governments. And shout out to the FCC for the work in the on Ninth Circuit on, you know, getting a, a good order on that to say we need to go 5G fast as far as putting physical equipment in place. I'm sitting out my window looking at a huge juggernaut of old telecommunications equipment. And I think, you know, other people are worried that it's going to be ugly. I'm like, I hope they get rid of that. And then you have the other layers that go into, you know, where the states can come in. And, and then now the federal, which goes into actually the international, you know, race we have with you know, both the hardware and the software components and, and who's going to build them. And, you know, besides Nokia and Ericsson are doing a fantastic job, but we need to be moving a lot of this into an open architecture so we can have a lot more competition. So you guys are doing a great job. I highly recommend anybody listening, go back and look at both the paper that you've done and the work that you're doing with NTIA and NIST. I want to thank you for coming on today. I hope we continue this dialogue, but you guys are doing fantastic work over at BSA and you specifically, Tommy. Great to catch up with you. So please, my listeners, go. We'll have this in the show notes. And I just want to thank you for being on today. Thank you for having me. It's great to talk with you.